Hebrews and chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. There are some in the back and we'll show verses on the screen. We are continuing our study of this last section of this wonderful book called the book of Hebrews. And we're in chapter 12. I want to pick it up where we left off last week. Chapter 12, verse 12. Please follow along as I read from God's holy, inspired word. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no Root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. May God bless his word to our hearts and lives today. Well, it was almost 30 years ago I was about to run my one and only triathlon in my life. It was 1990, I was standing before the back bay of Newport Beach. I had ridden the hills of Santa Barbara on my road bike. I had run many laps around the track at Santa Barbara City College. I had been swimming in the ocean off Goleta Beach. I was ready. My toes were there at the waterline, positioned myself in perfect starting position, front row on the outside. My competitors looked understandably nervous having to <laughs> compete against me. The gun went off, the race was on, and, and I'll come back to what happened next. But the race was on. The race was on. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews says, that's your situation right now. You're in a a race of faith, we saw at the beginning of this chapter. Chapter 12, verse 1 said, run with endurance. Remember that? Run with endurance. The race set before you, looking to Jesus. The believer in Jesus is, is in a race of faith, you might say. But now we find... It's not just some solitary race we run. It's not us against the competition. That's not the picture. The point now we're going to find is that we run well. We run this race well by running together. By running together right here. That's my summation. That's my simple summation of what I think we should take away from this passage, that you run well, run this race well by, by running it together. Now let me, let me just unpack that simple sentence for a bit. Run well by running together. I say run well. I say run well because as we saw last week, there are hurdles in this race. There are trials and challenges, even suffering at times. And so God had said in the previous verses that all of that was to be interpreted as his loving 
fatherly discipline or, or training meant to produce something in our lives, meant to produce, you recall it, a harvest of righteousness in our lives. So your heavenly Father is training you through all of it to bring forth good things. And so verse 12 begins, therefore, it's an important connection. Therefore, in light of your Father's loving training to bring forth a a harvest of righteousness. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. It's, it's vivid imagery, isn't it? Vivid imagery drawn from the prophet Isaiah and the book of Hebrews. And it reminds me of a, a marathon runner who is maybe in about mile 20. He's hit the wall and his form is shot. His arms are hanging down, his knees are buckling, and he's thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to make it to the end. It's a good picture of how the Christian can feel in the race of faith, isn't it? It's a good picture of how you and I can feel in this race, of feeling spiritually fatigued, spiritually exhausted, and so we're told to to make straight paths for our feet. Maybe you might say, run in the Lord's paths. And then we're given some details as to what that looks like, more specifically in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Then we're immediately told, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that word strive is a strong term. It's kind of like pursue with all you got. Make every effort strive after two things. Peace with everyone. Reconciliation. Harmonious relationships with those around you, particularly right now. Peace with everyone. And, and holiness, sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. So holiness, sanctification, becoming more like Jesus is not some optional extra in this race, is it? It's not like, do I want a salad with my entree or not? I can't decide. Do I want the side salad? It's optional. It's not like that. This is, you need a growing holiness in your life or you won't see Jesus at the finish line. Not, not that a growing holiness is the basis of your salvation, but it's a necessary result, right? A necessary fruit of the, of the transforming work of Jesus Christ. That's what it means here to run well. Run well. Run this race of faith well. But, but what does that look like practically speaking? What's it supposed to look like here in Grace Church? To strive after peace and strive after holiness. What should that look like in our lives, practically speaking? How are we to run well like that? Well, the answer the rest of the passage gives, I would say, is to run together. It's to run together. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 15 begins next. See to it. Or actually, maybe you could translate that better, seeing to it. You see, what's happening is 
in the original, this is the same sentence from verse 14. This is the same sentence continuing on. Usually in our English Bibles, new sentence, kind of new thought. That's not actually how it's written. It's strive, seeing to it, or, or watching over, watching over other people. It's the term usually describing a pastor watching over people. But here it's all of us, all of us watching over each other. That's what it's supposed to look like, he says. Strive, watching over your runners around you. This is the picture. So catch the picture here in this chapter. It's run looking to Jesus, but keep taking sideways glances to check on fellow runners around you. Not as the competition, but as you run together. Keep looking to Jesus, but keep checking around you. Is anyone getting fatigued? Is anyone falling behind? Keep, keep looking to Jesus, but is anyone starting to drop out of the race? That's the picture given to us here. So it's not some solitary race, is it? It's not just Jesus and me. We just have this race thing going on, just, just him and me. It's run well by running together. It's strive for peace, strive for holiness while helping the runners around you do the very same thing. It's what I did not experience at the Back Bay Triathlon. You see, the gun went off, the race started, I ran into the water and began to swim. And what I did not realize, and would have been good to know, is that I'm a very slow swimmer. And what happens in these races, I soon found out, is that those around you, they do not say, oh, you're a slow swimmer? Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me politely maneuver around you. They go over you. They, they, with one stroke, push you under, and the next stroke, go past you. I, I'm not kidding. So three times, I go under the water. <gasps> back up under the water. <gasps> back up. <laughs> and I'm, I'm now doggy paddling, choking out water. The lifeguard comes over. Are you okay, buddy? You don't look so good. I'm like, <clears throat> I'm fine. Why do you ask? I'm doggy paddling through the back bay. Shocked. By my treatment. Eventually, I slowly paddle around, and I may have been, I may have been just about the last person out of the water. There may have been a small child <laughs> who was slower than I was. But if you applied this passage to my triathlon experience, my limited triathlon career, those in that race would not have pushed me down and gone on top of me and gone over me. They would have said, hey, are you okay? Let's, let's run this together. How can I help you? How can I carry you along? We're going to run well by, by running together is what they would have said because that's what God is saying to us right here, friends. Strive after peace, yes. Strive after holiness, yes. While you are helping all those around you do the very same thing. And so we want to see how he develops that in three ways. Think of this as three ways, three ways to run well by running together. Here's the first. We are to watch over faith. We are to be watching over other people's faith. Look at, look at verse 15 again. 
So it says, seeing to it, watching continuously over other people. Why? That no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Or literally, that no one disregards the grace of God. How? Well, through unbelief, ultimately. Over and over in Hebrews, we're told of Jesus' one sacrifice for sin, right? Hebrews 10, 14 is one of those occasions. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I love that. He perfects you for all time, you who are progressively being changed incrementally. It's such happy news. And the way you experience that grace, the way you obtain that grace is it's through faith. It's by believing. It's by relying solely on Jesus Christ and his single offering for your sin. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to believe that good news, I, I just want to urge you, friend, to do so. God has sent His Son, the God-man, to be a single, perfect offering for your sin. You cannot improve upon this offering. You need not contribute to this offering anything but your failures. He paid it all as we sang about. And I want to urge you to come to God through Christ, believing today, trusting, relying solely on that single offering. And you too will experience God's grace. That's how we obtain to His grace. We trust this good news. But, but some here in this context, some here were, were wavering in their faith in that good news. Some were beginning to trust back in their former Jewish rituals instead of trusting in Jesus Christ. And so the call in our lives here, the call in our lives, friends, is to make sure your fellow runners around you are hoping in the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. To make sure others are, are hoping in nothing else but Jesus and Him crucified. To make sure we live the Christian life singing the words of that hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to that cross I cling. To make sure those around us are, are singing the words of a different hymn. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace, grace, grace will lead me home. We make sure everyone is hoping and relying on that grace through faith in Christ and His single offering for sin. I experienced this just this past Tuesday. I was having lunch with my friend Joshua, and we were taking some time to watch over each other, and I confessed a... A recent incident of, of sinful anger where I was sinfully impatient and anger, angry with a couple of my children and they kindly forgave me, but I wanted Joshua's help that I would continue to pursue holiness in that regard. And he, he reminded me of Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following. This was his counsel to me. So Tabba, I think you should remember Titus 2. 11 and following, for the grace of God, the grace of God trains us. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, listen, self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Wasn't that good counsel? It's a tap. Don't forget the grace of God. Don't fail to obtain the grace that saves you and, and is training you right now. And he, he helped me. 
keep hoping in Jesus and know that grace that brought me safe thus far will be the grace that leads me home. This is what God is saying we do in our fellowship together, in our friendships together, in, in our small groups together. This is kind of the agenda, top line agenda for your home group. Make sure, go to that next meeting, making sure those around you are keeping a firm grip on the grace of God through faith. That'll be a great meeting. This is what we do for single adults in, in your friendships. Keep reminding each other to cling to Jesus by faith. So what we do in our marriages, husbands and wives, so helping each other, so caring for each other, that they make sure neither one fails to obtain the grace of God as they trope, trust and hope in Christ. So we run well this way, by running together, watching over faith. And the second way, he goes on, second way, we run well by running together, by, by watching over hearts. By watching over hearts. See, verse 15 goes on. It's strive, verse 14, seeing to it, we're watching over other people that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many Many become defiled. Now, I've always read this as it's the sin of bitterness, that sin of taking an offense and carrying an offense in my heart against someone and kind of nurturing that offense in my self-righteousness. And, and, and that may be a piece here for sure, and that is a defiling thing for sure. And yet, the author here actually really has in mind a verse, as it's referenced there, from the Old Testament. A verse from the book of Deuteronomy. You don't need to turn there because it's right here on the screen. Where we read, Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe, notice, whose heart, whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God. That's his concern. Hearts turning away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, he says, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. So for the original readers, they probably would have made that connection and realized, aha, the context he's referring to would be people's hearts turning away from the living God. That's this root that brings poisonous or bitter fruit. In other words, the root is a kind of spiritual unfaithfulness in our hearts. That seems to be particularly in view a spiritual unfaithfulness, a heart that turns away from God. And the author's concern here is, hey, that kind of heart defiles many in the community. Did you catch that? He said it causes trouble. And many get defiled by that. It's, it's, it's contagious, he's saying. It can spread. It's infectious. Call the Center for Disease Control when that breaks out. Hearts that are turning away from God. It would seem if, if we're allowing, if we're just saying it's okay to just pursue headlong into unbelief, that can put a damper on, unbelief, on other people's faith as well. 
And as Christians, we tend to be concerned about the world outside defiling us, and we want to withdraw. But here, in this passage at least, here, the defilement is not out there, is it? It's <laughs> be concerned about your heart in here that could turn away from God and, and affect so many other people. I think it's meant to sober us, and I think it's meant to helpfully motivate us to see that. Marshall and I, as well, we were meeting last week, I think it was, and we were also taking some time over lunch to watch over each other. Obviously, I take a lot of watching over, as you can tell. And so Marshall and I were taking some time to watch over each other and share our challenges and share our respective temptations and difficulties. And Marshall made a, a, just a, a kind of a side-passing comment that really helped me and ministered to me. I'm not even sure if you realize this. He said, Tab, I'm going to paraphrase. He said, Tab, you as a pastor vocationally, if you, if you were to give yourself to your sin... And if you failed morally speaking, that would, that would impact the whole church. And it just helped me. It's like, oh, thank you, Marshall. That, that serves me to be mindful of consequences. Because what, is, what does sin do? I don't know if your sin works like this, but my sin says, um, Tab, first of all, no one will find out. And secondly, it won't matter. There are no consequences. Do you ever hear those voices say that? It's the lie of the devil to Eve. You won't die if you eat from that tree. Did God say you would die? You, you will not die. Who told you, Eve, you would die? There'll be no consequences. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, oh yeah, hearts that turn away from God, oh man, they're just painful consequences everywhere, not just for pastors, for all of us. It's helpful to remember if our hearts turn away from God, that'll impact your friends. It'll impact your spouse. It'll impact your children. The point is not to condemn. The point is to motivate each other to, to protect each other, isn't it? The point is to motivate each other to care about each other. And say, oh God, let there not be a root of, of bitterness that, that happens like that. A root that poisons and defiles and puts a damper on people's hearts of faith. I think it meant, it's meant to motivate us to just ask loving questions and say, hey brother, hey sister, how you doing? I don't know what's going on, but is your heart getting hard at all? Just come alongside and care. Say, I love you in the Lord. I want to make sure I'm just serving you in your walk with God. It, it's really, it really speaks to you, doesn't it? Why why Jesus gives us a process of what's called church discipline in Matthew 18. It's to serve people. It's like the Coast Guard. If someone's out there in distress in the ocean, they launch the rescue helicopters. It's a rescue mission, but it's also meant to be protective. And so God tells us here, watch, watch over your hearts, friends. Watch over other people's hearts in particular. We watch over faith. We watch over hearts, and then he gives us one more way we run well, by running together. One more way. He tells us thirdly to, to watch over priorities, I would say. Watch over Godward, God-oriented priorities in life. 
See, see, we're to strive after peace with everyone. Strive after holiness. You're catching that theme. Seeing to it. Watching over others. Now verse 16. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. A bowl of stew. For you know that afterward, later on, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The account is, you may be aware, from the book of Genesis, a guy named Esau, who was grandson of Abraham, he comes home one day, he's absolutely famished. He's so hungry. And his brother Jacob has got some stew cooking on the stove, and he says, oh, give me that stew. I'll just take my birthright. I don't care. I've got to have that stew. And in effect, he, he disdains God's purposes. He disdains God's promises to his family and the work God wanted to do through his, his own life. He just disdains that. He chucks it all for a bowl of stew. So we're told in verse 16, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like, like Esau. Now, if you remember that account well, you, you might realize that we're not told of any explicit sexual immorality in Esau's life. It might, might be implied. Jewish literature, ancient Jewish literature, did talk about Esau's sexual morality, but we don't read about that in the text. And so commentators make a, make a point here, and I think it's a pretty good one, that the sexually immoral term might might not be physical adultery, especially in view. It might be spiritual adultery. It might be, in context, being godless, being, you might say, irreligious, profane, or unholy, like Esau. I think that fits the account well. Make sure no one is irreligious. Make sure no one is, is becoming godless. Like, like Esau, the spiritual adulterer. Make, make, sure, make sure no one starts to love other things more than God himself. You see, what Esau is, is here for, he's, he's kind of a paradigm for misplaced priorities, isn't he? He's a, he's a paradigm for misplaced priorities. He has no appreciation for God's amazing promises to his family. He could care less about God's promises of a, of a promised land, a promised inheritance, a promised people, and a promised blessing to all peoples, all families of the earth. Esau just wanted a bowl of stew. And that's the kind of attitude we must protect each other from, we're told in this passage. Don't you need that help, friends? I'd like to sign up for that help. Would you? How many, and it's so easy to do sometimes, how many Christian families can put kids' activities above their child's spiritual welfare? And so the, the calendar is just chock full with, with activities, maybe, maybe great activities, chock full with activities, but they never have time to open the Bible together. They don't have time to have conversations about Jesus together and disciple their children. And what's the message the kids get? 
the kids get, these things really matter a lot more than Jesus does. Or how many, how many men and women, how many Christian men and women have, have in effect sacrificed their participation in a good local church on the altar of career advancement. So they, they move away from a strong uh, fellowship, a place where they're thriving spiritually, thriving and being used by God and knit in relationally just to climb the corporate ladder further and make a little more money. I'm not saying at all it's wrong to move. I'm not saying that you didn't hear that. Check the recording, okay? I'm just saying we can do that with no spiritual calculus, no spiritual calculation, no, no Godward referent. Or how many Christians, friends, can live for the American dream more than seek first the kingdom of God? We can focus on getting more and more stuff. Right? The one with the most toys wins. You've seen that bumper sticker, right? instead of investing more and more in gospel ministry to the glory of God. I'm not saying quit school. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm merely saying it is possible, like Esau, it is possible to exchange infinitely precious things for things that by comparison are a bowl of stew. And we just have to be careful with our priorities, that we prioritize what is most important, that we keep valuing what's, what's most valuable in our lives. And to reinforce this, we're told rather soberly, Esau later on, he had, he had no chance to repent, no chance to change his mind. Seems to be a reference to when later on, Jacob tricked their father Isaac to bless Jacob and not Esau, if you recall that. It seems to be tied together. And so later on, Esau wanted his dad's blessing, but it was too late. And God is saying, you don't want to be in that kind of situation. And I thought of, I thought of our teenagers here. I thought of our youth. I thought of our children who are growing up in a Christian home. Because your situation is, is kind of like Esau's. E Esau, Esau grew, in, grew up in a home with the promises of God. Now, Esau grew up in a home where they had promises to granddaddy Abraham written in calligraphy and framed and on the living room walls. Esau grew up in a home where they had family devotions about how God had promised to granddaddy Abraham a land and a people and a blessing to all peoples. And Esau said, I'm hungry. Chuck it all. I want some stew, Jacob. It's a warning, isn't it? To you and me, teenagers. Not to take for granted these incredible spiritual riches we have. You're growing up in a, in a context where you're saturated with truth about Jesus. You're, you're saturated with the good news of Christ. You, you hear it all the time. You come here every Sunday and the temptation for you, friend, can be take it or leave it. I've heard that all of my life. It's like old news. And God is saying to you, don't, 
Don't make Esau's mistake. It's a bad trade. Give yourself to what matters most in Jesus Christ. So you get the picture, friends? You get the picture? It's run well by, by running together, isn't it? It's a call to vigilant care for each other. Not, not spiritual policemen, but spiritual lifeguards. It's kind of like, I saw this sign down the street. It's kind of like those neighborhoods with a neighborhood watch sign. Does your neighborhood have one of those? Where it says, warning all suspicious activities reported immediately to the police. Neighborhood watch. What's the idea? We watch over each other as neighbors. And that's what the local church is supposed to be like. In a loving, caring, thoughtful, consistent way. We're watching over each other. And so I want to I apply this to two groups of people. I want to exhort kind of two groups of people. The first group being the weary runners that are here. The weary runners. If you feel like verse 12 this morning, your, your hands are drooping. You know, your knees feel weak. You, you feel like that marathon runner at mile 20. You've hit the wall and you are just spiritually fatigued. You are spiritually exhausted right now. First, I just pray God ministers to you most of all and encourages you today. But if that's you, friend, please, please invite others in to help watch over you and help you and care for you. Please invite others in. You know, lift the hood on your life or your marriage or your parenting, whatever's fatiguing you, to get care and help. Make sure you have people in your life who are going to Remind you of Jesus. And make sure you don't fail to obtain the grace of God. Do you, do you have people like that that you're walking with? Do you have relationships like that? Does anyone really know what's going on? Or where you're struggling? Where you need grace? Where your heart might be tempted to get hard? Where you might want to make an exchange like Esau did? Is, is anyone aware It's really, it's, it's a big part, isn't it? It's a big part of why we have small groups so people around you can come alongside. But you really do, you have to invite them in. You have to let them know. I need, I need help here. I need, I need some watching over. Could you help me? And if you're not finding that person, talk to one of the elders here. We want to care for you. We love you. We're for you. I find sometimes as a pastor, and I'm sure I can do this too, but I find sometimes that people can be spiritually exhausted for a long, long time. And way back at mile five, they've been exhausted. And by the time they come to me, I find myself thinking, oh, I wish we could have talked a long time ago. Oh, friend, invite others in. If you're weary, if you're fatigued, get help. People around you love you. Second group, those who are running well. Those who are running well. The passage is really addressed to you, isn't it? The passage is really addressed to you. God is speaking to you directly, friend. And he's saying, 
Yes, run well, looking to Jesus, but you are to run, keeping watch over your fellow runners. You're to be checking on them. Is anyone fatigued? Is anyone dropping back? Is anyone exhausted? Are there any drooping hands or weak knees around you? To be kind of on the lookout for that. Not spiritual beliefs, but spiritual lifeguards. Neighborhood watch zone. We can think sometimes, can't we? Like the biblical figure Cain, who killed his brother Abel, and God said, uh, Cain, uh, where's your brother? And Cain said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Like, what's it to me? And this passage is saying, you know what, we are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We're called to care for and watch over each other actively, continuously. Friend, let's ask ourselves, are we, are we doing that? Are we coming to our small group meetings with that intentionality to say, God, do you want to use me today to minister to anybody? Maybe come to this meeting. You want to use me to help people by faith obtain the grace of God? Do you, want to help, do you want to use me to minister to anybody's hearts today? Maybe, maybe a loving question. Maybe you get together over coffee just to care, just to support. Maybe, maybe it's coming alongside somebody and saying, Oh, friend, make sure you're valuing Jesus overall. God will use you. God will use you. And we will run well, won't we? We will run well as we're running together. And yes, all the while, all the while, looking to Jesus. We run well by running together, all the while looking to the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, made that single offering for our sins, and rose from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of God. Friends, we run well looking to Jesus, and yes, running together. And so we're going to close by looking to Jesus through the Lord's Supper. So with the